Good morning. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to quickly introduce myself uh, again. I'm sorry. Uh, so my name is Jacob Kim. I'm a uh, pastoral church plant resident with the network. And for the past year, I've uh, had the honor and pri- uh, privilege of learning so much. And I'm so thankful to be where I am. So some of you may be wondering what is a church plant resident or a church plant. I'm looking to plant a church. So what, what a church plant resident does you can more or less uh, encapsulate all of that and call me a slave. So you could just call me church plant slave. <laughs> so uh, use me as you please. But I, honestly, I, I've been thankful for the network, and I've, I've learned a lot, a ton, and I'm so excited to, to plant. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm thankful to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Now, moving forward, let's... Go to our passage for today, which comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Here we go. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. This passage is the bookend of Matthew. Matthew was filled with stories of love and compassion of Jesus, the death and the resurrection. And this story comes on the heel of the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This passage is the what you can call is the pinnacle passage for describing and prescribing the purpose, the mandate, the call of every Christian. And that call and that purpose and that primary purpose, one of two primary purposes, one being love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and the second, to love your neighbor. As you love yourself. This passage to go and make disciples of all nations calls us to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in everyone's lives. This is it. This is the purpose. This is the call. Now, I love what Matt said. He said, you know what? It, it's... It, it's Dreadful for some of us. How do we do that? What is making disciples? And where do we start? And at first glance, it does seem like a command. But I do need to describe to you or tell you that this call to make disciples of all nations is not just for a few But it's for all, because this is the primary purpose of you and me as Christians. This is the primary purpose of the church, to go and 
live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family members, to our community. That's what we're here to do. You know, I have three children. I have uh, and my oldest son. He's, uh, he's more artistic. He doesn't like math too much. Um, untypical of Asians. <laughs> so, one day I found out from the parent of his friend came to me and said, Hey, listen, I got to tell you something. Your son has been paying my son to do his homework with Oreos. <laughs> then that, that, that threw me into some, some sort of thought process here. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, everything was starting to connect. This guy for a month had been coming home with his homework done. I'm thinking, oh, great. Good job, Ethan. And then for that month, too, he's been asking for Oreos. And then it all connected. I'm like, oh, I understand. In my mind, I'm thinking, buddy, you're giving Asians a bad name. They should be paying you in Oreos. I think I can be politically incorrect here. (laughs) I talked to my son, and I said, well, what's going on, buddy? He said, well, I don't want to do homework. I don't like math. Well, buddy, this is for you. you. You need to know this. It is something you need to do. Well... I don't want to do it. I, it's, it's daunting. It's scary. It's just too much. I just can't get my head around long division and fractions in third grade. Um, yeah, buddy, I, I get that. But this helps you for your future. This helps you for something else. See, for him, he couldn't see Math being attached to, or his homework being attached to, something broader. So for him, at this moment, just looking at this page of numbers and, and, and duty, he's thinking, I, I don't feel like doing this. I'd rather pay somebody with Oreos. For some of us, when we look at this commission, this call, and it seems like duty, when it's unattached to the broader picture, when it's unattached to Jesus' compassion, when it's unattached to the vision, we look at his duty. We'd rather pay someone else and do it. Don't we? We look at each other and say, you know, I'm not good at talking to people, so I'll help you go talk to people. I'll help you. Look, all of us have been gifted with Different gift sets. But we can, in many different ways, however God calls you, to go and make disciples of all nations. But as I said, this call mandate looks empty without the bigger picture. 
So if you look at this passage, it is a microcosm. It is, a, it is a, an interaction between Jesus and his disciples that point to the bigger interaction between Jesus and God and us. There's actually a small process here before he makes the call. Do you notice? And that process starts with Jesus coming to the disciples first and foremost. Secondly, Jesus speaking truth in love. And then finally making the call. So he comes to the disciples in compassion and love. Then he speaks to them about his authority. And then he makes the call finally at the end. It's not reversed. He's like, he's not telling you, go and make disciples of all the nations. And here's the reasons why. He says, let me show you how I love you first. Let me show you how I want to come to you first. See, come, look at this passage with me. Again, let me, let me put this in context. Jesus just died. Jesus just resurrected. Happy Easter, everybody. Belated. He just raised from the dead, and the disciples knew this. And so Jesus called to his disciples and said, Hey, listen, brothers, meet me in a secret place in Galilee, in the mountains, somewhere. So the disciples meet him. Verse 16, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. You've got to understand, as soon as the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him. That tells you, number one, they recognized him. Number two, they knew who he was. And number three, they understood this is the man that died before their eyes and resurrected. A man that is no longer just a man that has the authority of God, that is God himself that has power and authority over even death. But read this with me. Watch this. As soon as they worshipped him, you know what the disciples did? It says, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Does that not blow your mind? That's saying, Matt, I just saw you. You're a great speaker, but I still doubt you. That blows your mind. What are these people, what are these 11 disciples doubting? They're doubting the presence, the call. They're doubting what's going on. They're doubting who they are. Don't you and I doubt? We doubt. We doubt the presence of God. Doubt the call. But there are two things that come out of here, which is great. Number one, just to tell you an affirmation, seeing is not necessarily believing. Seeing with your eyes is not necessarily believing. And secondly, what you will see is believing starts with here, not here. It starts here. And Jesus is showing them How to start believing, which is to start seeing from here what I've done for you. These disciples doubted. You and I doubt. 
And I'm here to tell you this morning, well, Jesus is telling you this morning, that it's okay to doubt. It really is okay to doubt. For those of you who have come today who are on the edge and in search, you're not sure, it's okay to doubt. It's a process. This is a process. Coming to know Jesus is a process. It's not a, an instant where you're one with Jesus. Well, you are, technically, theologically, but it's a process, and it's okay. And for those of you who have been in the church for a very long time, you will come to a point in place where you do doubt the presence of God through life circumstances. Many things happen. Tragedies happen. Tragedies, unspeakable tragedies in this world continue to happen that make you question the presence of God. Just as a sidebar, God is not a creator of tragedies, but indeed he knows of them and will use them. It's amazing how Jesus comes to these disciples. He comes to them gently and lovingly. I coach a little league team. Um, little league baseball. And it's fun. I love it. I love it. And I love interacting with kids. I love teaching them baseball. By the way, I love baseball. I played baseball in college. And uh, that's something that uh, I failed to get to the major leagues. And so uh, I'm here. <laughs> Just joking. But I do love baseball. Um, what's interesting, the, the one hitch that almost all kids have in baseball is the fear of the ball. They fear the ball. No matter what you tell them, it's just a ball, but they fear the ball. Once they get hit, they will forever remember that pain. You can tell them, oh, it's just made of thread. It's cork, right? Look, there's some little, little stitches. It's okay, it's fine. But they're still scared. But more often than not, this is what I see from dads, mostly. Telling them, telling their kids, or showing them, or trying to lead them out of fear. This is what they say. Suck it up. Don't be scared. How can you be scared? Get over it. The pain is just a little bit. And more often than not, I would say 95%, these kids don't get over that fear. You can't force them to get over fear. You can't tell them to be less scared. You understand? Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Does that help you? It doesn't help me. <laughs> if it helps you, great. <laughs> can't force someone. And Jesus doesn't force these disciples not to doubt. He doesn't come to them and say, don't doubt. Don't doubt. Suck it up and don't doubt. He comes in compassion and love and understanding and affirms them in their fear. He comes to them. You see, 
In a relationship, when someone doubts, you actually drive a wedge in that relationship. Do you know that? You're driving a wedge. In that relationship, I say, Matt, I doubt you. That, that is driving a wedge. This doubt that the disciples have points to a deeper, deeper something that causes a rift between them and Jesus, but also points to this, this rift that ultimately is there between mankind and God. This doubt points to something deeper, some, some seed in our heart that puts this rift between us and God, between us and Jesus, between the disciples and Jesus. And to overcome that rift. See, only two things happen. You either say, okay, I, this, there is rift. Let's give up. War or one of the parties has to come, overcome, overcome that chasm. And that chasm, that rift is too big for us, too big for the disciples. So Jesus recognizes that and he comes to them. You see, this is the word. The word, you've you got to understand the wording here. As soon as they doubt, it says, Jesus came to them. And then not only did he come to them in this microcosm of interactions that point to a larger interaction of Jesus coming to them, Jesus speaks to them and points them to the truth. Jesus speaks to them about his authority. So the first thing he says, listen, let me give you some comfort. This is me. I overcame death. I have authority over all things. And I am with you. And I'm going to give you that authority too. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus, the king who has authority over life, over your life, over life for all mankind is saying, this is what's going to happen. Listen, that rift is no longer there because I died and I resurrected. And that life is going to be given to you for free. I'm coming to you, and I'm going to give it to you. I have that power. I have that authority. And this authority is all-inclusive. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This authority isn't just between him and the disciples. This authority isn't just on earth. This authority is not just applicable to that microcosm of interactions, but to the cosmos, to the universe, to the heavens. Jesus is all-powerful. And he's saying, I've got your back. It's okay to doubt. And I've got your back. And I'm going to be with you. And I want you. And I love you. And I've got power. And I'm giving you that power. Now, only after doing these things, you see, here's the process. It's not just an empty call to the Great Commission. In this very passage is the process. God coming to you and speaking good truth to you. And then finally, the call. After that, finally, 
the call. The Great Commission comes at the end of Matthew. Not at the middle, not at the beginning, at the end of Matthew. Matthew, after Jesus Christ giving his life and showing you what it looks like to give his life to others. Then at the end, he says, now, go and do this. You see, after the process, after you go through the process, your perspective and the way that you look at the Great Commission changes. And it must change. It isn't out of duty. It isn't an empty call. But it is out of love and gratitude. It is out of gratitude to Jesus loving you that you want to love on others. Isn't it? You see, you can't force yourself to do things. You cannot will yourself to do things. And if you do, it only lasts so long, doesn't it? I'm Canadian and American. But Canada's cold. In confirmation to your uh, possible thoughts about Canadians living in coldness and in igloos. It is true, we live in the igloos, but only in the north. <laughs> Often, it's so cold, it's so bitter cold. You, you think it's cold here? Yeah, it's nothing. I come out in shorts in this weather. <laughs> it's so cold. It, it's minus 40 degrees Celsius, which is minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. It's just so bitter. Just, oh, my gosh. You know what my friends used to say to me? Jacob... Imagine that you're in a warm bath. It doesn't work. <laughs> Does that work? If that works for you, praise God. Because <laughs> that doesn't work for me. I may imagine that I'm in a warm bath, but I'm, I feel like I have frostbite here. You can't will yourself to do something. It's got to be attached to something greater. You've got to be motivated. You've got to be pushed out of wanting, desiring, and out of love, out of gratitude. And this is what's happening here. You can't will yourself to do this great commission. You can't will yourself to do this call. It is daunting. It is scary. So don't start there. Don't start with the call. Start with how Jesus came to you, loved you, and fulfilled his own great commission to you first and foremost. Then, and I I don't know who I'm quoting, but these aren't my words, not out of willpower, but out of joy power, do you fulfill this great commission. So what's this great commission? What does it mean to go and make disciples of all nations? So we've talked about the, the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. What is it? What does it look like? How do we do it? Well, first and foremost, let me tell you, going and making disciples of all nations tells you basically what Jesus did. It's not, hey, you know what? Let me help you with some food here. Hey, you know what? And we did some great things as Liberty, as a network of Liberty Churches. Last week we did the Easter outreach together and, and served many families with meals. 
over 4,000 meals. Isn't that great? These are good things. And these are part of making disciples of all nations, but that isn't making disciples of all nations. It's part. Making disciples of all nations looks like what Jesus did with his disciples. He lived with his disciples. He walked with his disciples. He cried with them. He laughed with them. He lived in the trenches with his disciples. That's what it means to make disciples of all nations. It's not telling people. It's living it out. It's modeling the love of Christ to those around you. It is living and speaking and serving as the very presence of Jesus. That's what it means to go make disciples of all nations. You know, I just learned something recently. I, in church planning, we talk about um, how it is the, one of the best ways, one of the best ways to reach those who are unreached, to, to tell people about Jesus. I've been given this stat. Okay, look. If each one, because some of you may look at this, okay, yeah, yeah, go make disciples of all nations. It might seem nebulous. Who, how, where, what? Give us a plan. Well, here's where you can start. Each one, reach one, each year. See, each one of you, reach one person, dedicate your life to reach one person for one whole year, being with them. That's where you can start if you want a path, right? Again, as I said, start with the love of Christ. Start there. Center yourself on there. And out of gratitude, go through. It's a suggestion. Go through this process. Now, What's the current population of this world? Seven billion. Six and change. Seven billion. A third of them Asians. <laughs> I'm sorry, let me correct myself. A third of them, one part of the Asians, and then there's some more. Yeah. I love being politically incorrect. <laughs> um, seven billion. So if, if you're good at math, do this math. Each one... Reach one each year. Exponentially, that group grows. How long before you get to tell the whole world about Jesus Christ? Sharing the gospel. About 30, 35 years. That's not that long. That's not that long. And I'd like to put it in your lap and challenge you. Here's where you can start. Each one of you reaching one each year. Just as a start. Just as a plan. And what that looks like is being with them. Sharing Jesus' love with them. Just being with them. Walking with them through life. Modeling the love of Christ. Not just spouting truths. Not just telling them blah, blah, blah. Because that's not the way Jesus started. He didn't just speak to the disciples. He modeled it first. He came to them. He came to us. Let's go to people and model that love. And let them ask, who is this person? Why are they so joyful? Why are they for me here? And let them give you an opportunity to share the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ.
you know, here's the, the best part about all of this. The disciples doubted God's presence. Here's how God said, I'm going to be with you. Ready? Nineteen. Go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I'm with you. What does that mean? Listen, what you've been doubting, what you've been seeking most, you will get. You will get it. But don't seek it first. But as you serve, you will get it. As you fulfill the great commission, you will begin to witness and to feel and to know in your heart my presence in you and around you. You will see things that you can't comprehend You will see things that where you can only say, wow, it is only the presence of Jesus. And by the presence of Jesus, these things are done. You will be confirmed. For those of you who have been in church for a while and have done these things, remember? Look back, remember? And think about how this church started, remember? How did it turn into this? Only by God's grace. When you're in it and you're serving, you see God pop out everywhere. I am with you always. Jesus affirms, I am with you always. Now let me close here and book in this. What it took for Jesus to be with you and me always. You see, we can't be motivated by joy unless we understand the cost to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me read something. I can't find it. (laughs) These iPads. Um, I'll go, go from it from memory. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about the difference between costly grace and cheap grace. And he said, costly grace, when you understand it, then you understand, then it motivates you to not just sit there and believe, but to do and obey with Christ Jesus. When grace is cheap, when you see what Jesus has done as cheap, just, ah, okay, Jesus had done it for me, you won't be motivated. You won't be pushed. You, you, you can't combine faith and works. It doesn't work. So therefore, we must understand, and I, and I, and I want to center on this, we've got to understand the cost of grace. So how do we understand the cost of grace? How do we understand the cost of what Jesus had done? The only way that you can understand the height and the greatness and the love and the compassion of Jesus is to understand how broken we all are. That is the only way that you can understand the compassion and the greatness and the cost of grace is to understand the brokenness and the depth of darkness that we all have. 
we do have this brokenness. You see, the disciples have this brokenness. They doubted Jesus even when he was right in front of them. Adam and Eve doubted God even when they walked with God. It's indeed in all of us. And that brokenness causes a rift in a way that is unrepairable. And the only way that it's repairable, whenever there's a rift in a relationship, one must pay a certain cost. And that cost is death. Not just physical death. We're talking about ultimate, eternal separation from God. When we read that Apostles' Creed at the end, after Jesus died and and before he rose again, he descended into the dead. That dead. And that's what Jesus took. And he's saying, I beat that. And I beat that for you. So I not only have authority over my life, over all things, but I have authority over yours, and I could say to God, save these people, because I took that punishment. Then therefore, understanding the cost of grace, understanding the love story of Jesus, understanding his compassion and what it took to give you life, then therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful. Really. We thank you that you came to us even when we didn't deserve it. And you came to us even when we didn't want it. And even when we spurred you. We're so thankful for the compassion that you have for us every single day. We're so thankful for the authority that you have been given. And that authority over our lives to set us free. As we come to this table today, not just as a remembrance do we approach the table, but knowing, understanding the cost, understanding the grace, understanding the love, and understanding you are present here with us right now. We thank you for that love, and we thank you for the call. In your precious name we pray. Amen.